Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan. And welcome to the podcast where we chic, chic, chica, chica. We <laughs> shake weird <laughs> shit. <laughs> we shake in the gree gree. Ah, we are. I have them. Um, this is like the podcast where the facts aren't made up and the penises come after. Oh, or before <laughs> they come before the game. Where the both the facts fact. and the penises are real. Yes. Well, at least oh, the raccoon well, ones. The raccoon ones are real. The crystal ones. You know what? They come from Mother Nature herself. Those are Mother Nature's penises. Palaces. They are. They are. You would have thought they'd be bigger. I mean, yes. I'm not, I mean, they're still impressive, though. They are. They are. Hey, everybody, welcome again to Crime Curious. Sorry Don't that we are up. weird. Yeah. Don't turn us off. We promise that we're fairly decent at this by now on our third year. Um, okay. I have for you, it's been a while since we've really done old timey. I know if you're a Patreon, we give you so many bonuses, so many bonus episodes a month that you're probably, they get a good mix of old timey and new timey and all those sorts of things. But I feel like for our general audience, we have not done an old timey in a while. And this one to me has, my goodness, it just, it's drama. Oh, I love It's old timey. Like 1800s or early 1900s? It's early 1900s, 1929. Okay. But. Oh, the roaring 20s. Uh, the end of the roaring 20s. It's, I, you're just, I think you're going to like it because I didn't know about this case, um, but it has to do with like professors from Ohio State University. You can't trust a Buckeye. Mm-hmm. Exactly my the thoughts. The Ohio State. The Ohio State, yes. The and reason we have a true crime podcast just, today. Yes, we <laughs> Thanks, O-H-I-O. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the only thing that people, you and I, mm-hmm. being a U of M and MSU fan, can agree on. Absolutely. Oh, how uh, I hate Ohio, Ohio State. Yep, it's so true. <laughs> uh, if you are a football fan, you know what we're talking about. And if you are from Ohio and you're a Buckeye, you understand we're, you know, mich- we're Wolverine and Sparty over here. Oh, yeah. So and we still, no offense. We still love you. Just go change your sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't come at us with those that gray and red. All oh. right. Also, your mascot looks like a poop. Oh, my God. It does look like a little tiny turd. He does. Yes. Like a little rabbit plop. And yes, I've seen a Buckeye. We grow them here, too. Mm-hmm. They don't look like that. No. No. But yeah. Okay. Anyhow, on to this tragedy. But it also has like some real scandal. Okay. Scandal. Yes. And we can, you know, not be as sensitive about it because all of the people. That's why I like old timeies. Me too. We don't have to be as PC. Uh, Still a tragedy. Absolutely. But anywho, enough talking. Let's get on with this. We're going to start this case at the discovery of the tragedy and work it 
through the investigation lens, as you know, I like to to do from time to time. I love it. Um, I'm going to take you to June 13th, 1929, near the Ohio State University. There were two college students. They were just arriving um, at the shooting range, the rifle range, actually, that's not far from campus. It was a popular area, not only for the college um, shooters that are on, like, the team, okay, the trap team, but also... The local, like, police, they would use that range as well. Great. So, mm-hmm. the yep, local cops are using that as a shooting range. Yep. Um, and actually, this was, like, for the time, it was a really nice range. And so, it drew in some of the best shooters in the country. If they, you know, could go there, they wanted to, like, you know, of the time, they would find, like, the best. It's kind of like if you're a really avid golfer and you go travel to do the uh, the different courses. Sure. Well, this was a hot spot. It was such a nice r- rifle range that um, it was a nice spot for a lot of top shooters to come and, and uh, practice. So these two college students, they were the first to arrive at the range that day. And the shooting field was overgrown, so the grass was about knee-high, or so. And so the boys had to walk out, place their targets, and then go back and, you know, start shooting. So as they're walking to place their targets, one of them noticed that there was something like in the distance. It almost seemed like someone was sleeping in in the the tall tall grass. grass. Son of a bitch. Yeah. So this, this kid is like, hey, you see that over there? Like, let's go wake them up. Like, please that's be weird. Napping, please be right. napping. I don't think it even Occurred. crossed these boys' mind okay. that it could be anybody but someone sleeping in the grass. And so, of course, as they approach what they thought was a sleeping human, they discover is tragically a woman. Um, her head had been beaten and bloodied. Oh, she wasn't shot? As they mm. got closer and they realized that she's dead, they did not take a close enough look to really tell how the um as you know. one wouldn't no no because i would quickly once you know that you can't do any life-saving measures she's obviously beaten to death mm-hmm. i go get the police and they did that's exactly what they did they ran got the police yeah. so one of the first detectives on the scene was chief wg shallon barker cool name yes my autocorrect did not love that name it <laughs> tried to change it to various things but it is shallon barker or shallon berger if you want to do a hard g-e-r okay however i like a soft g yeah yeah me too everything else hard but give me, but the, soft. Give me the soft g right oh my god i don't even know what to say anymore <laughs> so um They could, you know, the detective can kind of see, remember, it's 1929, so word is spreading fast. By the time the detective gets there, there are other people crowded around, and they're like, back up, back up, all right? He could clearly see where the boys had originally walked. It's, you know, it's in the morning, so where he, they had walked in the grass and then walked away, all right? But the thing is, there were no other tracks around, so the detective is thinking, with no other tracks besides the two tracks from the boys, how long has she really been lying right. here? Because the grass had already had time 
to kind of bring itself back up. Yes. Right. And for those of you who aren't rural people and aren't used to that, yeah. in the morning when grass is kind of damp, dewy and, and wet, Especially I will have tall you know. grass. Exactly. Yep. It bends down as you walk through, but throughout the day as it dries, it mm-hmm. literally starts to stand back up again. It so becomes this could erect. be, yeah, it becomes erect mm-hmm. within 12 hours. Yep. Like the grass had a blue pill. Yes. Within 12 hours. Nature's Viagra. <laughs> Right it's a long time to wait for an erection. I Sometime between now and 12 hours. I've waited for one for longer. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was kind of detective's first clue is that, all right, she wasn't placed here this morning. No. She wasn't placed here when the grass was wet. Nope. Obviously, because um, there were only those, you know, those tracks. So Detective Schallenberger and the coroner counted on her body they they did take her body to um um actually the coroner's it was described as being the coroner's office I really hope he had a lab but it's 1929 I don't know guys sure but they knew she had multiple blows to the head they were rounded so they're thinking it, it was probably from a hammer um they actually tried to pinpoint it down to even like a ball peen hammer because it was so round. Um, her throat and her body had several deep slashes as well. So they're searching for her personal belongings to try to ID her, of course, and they did find a set of keys in her pocket, but nothing else to help identify her. In just hours, it you know it didn't take them long to clean up the scene because there's not a whole lot there. Um, they didn't find anything on the rifle range. There was no hammer. There was no knife. Nothing was left at the scene besides her body. So um, what ends up happening, how we figure out who this young woman is, it's two women named Alice and Beatrice Booston. They were sisters. They attended Ohio State University. And they went to the police because they were very worried that their roommate had not returned from the night before from going on a date. So they go to the, yeah, they go to the police. They tell the authorities about the situation. They describe the missing woman woman to the police. And they're like, um, that actually matches the description of the woman found on the rifle range this morning. And unfortunately, because there's really no other way, they did have to take Alice and Beatrice Booston to the morgue to identify the woman found on the rifle range as their roommate. And it was. They had to ID her. They did. They had to ID her. And they identified her as Theora K. Hicks. And she was, in fact, their missing roommate. So Miss Theora. So the police start here now. They're questioning the two girls. You know, what do you know of Miss Hicks? What do you, you know, what do you know about what she did the day before? That kind of thing. Um, They said that she had actually went to the local hospital to see if she could get a part-time job because um, she was a medical student and she was interested in starting to work at the hospital. Oh, and she also, yeah, go ahead. Oh, nothing. Oh, I was just, yeah. You, you I gasped. gasped. You gasped in. And so I thought that was you yeah. ready to say something. I was, ju- I'm just thinking I'm going to internalize for a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. She also told them that she had a date that night. Okay. And they were surprised because to their knowledge, Miss, Miss Hicks didn't date anyone. All right. 
So that doesn't mean she can. Correct. But this was just the first time that, that she had been it. like, hey, I'm going to go on a date tonight. And they're like, well, she's really focused on school, on okay. her medical uh, career, you know. So and they admitted that they really don't know much about her private life. Um, once in a while, they had seen her around campus with an older man in a small car. They didn't know if the two were in a relationship or not. Um, they thought that the person might be a faculty member. Yeah, she's banging a professor. Well, but they had also seen her with another man that was closer to her age. Um, he was a young student, might have even been a young staff member. Okay. You know, just cl- much closer to her age, but they just weren't sure who the man was, so they couldn't say for sure if it was a student or maybe just a young staffer, right? So besides that, she kept to herself. She didn't offer a whole lot of information to anyone. They knew that her family was in Florida. That's where her she's from. That's where her parents lived. They're in Ohio, you know. So that that's about it. So the detective is like, okay, thanks. We'll start here. They contact Ohio State University, who gives them the contact information for her parents, and they work on alerting her parents, and her parents do start driving from Florida to Ohio. It's 1929. It's gonna, it takes a long time today. It does. I just okay. drove to Miami yep. from Michigan. It's a long drive. Me too. Exactly. It's, it is two days. Yeah. Okay. We made, we made it to the tip of Florida in 17 hours, yep. and then still had Four hours the next day you to got get it. to our port. So yeah, it's it is two days really. Um, now, and I feel bad for her parents, guys, because you know it's 1929. Their daughter left for school in Ohio. They haven't seen her. Nope. Since she left for school, it's not transportation wasn't easy like it is today. It's train rides, days worth of train rides at this point. You know, yes, they obviously have vehicles too, but it's just not. They're just not driving those in the early 1900s cross country on trips either. No. So um, at this point, Detective Schallenberger is like, all right. I've got to try to follow her movements throughout the day. We know that she went to the hospital. Let's go to the hospital and see if, you know, what they have to offer up there. So he goes to the hospital and he finds out that she did get to the hospital that day and they actually hired her on the spot. They were excited to start training her on operating a switch phone. And they had actually even started training her. And then later in the day, she said that she had to go because she had to go on a date, but she did not provide any names to anyone. Um, so what is kind of striking to the detective at this point in time is that no one seems to know the name of the person person that she has now told several people she's meeting up with this night, right? Um, well, she's kind of being secretive about it. Like uh she's letting everybody know she has a date, but she's not offering that either, which is, I think maybe for a young lady, atypical. I agree. Like if you told your roommates, I'm not going on a date tonight, you just leave it like that. I don't think that would be me. And, no. I, and I was a serious studier. Like unless I didn't you have, have something to hide. Unless you had something to hide. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like you didn't want them to know who the person was, right. but you're going to cover it a little bit with I'm going out. I'm just going. Yeah. You won't have see a date. me because I'm going out on a date. Yep. Uh, now, the news of her murder obviously spreads around campus. And going to be scary. Yes, exactly. This is hot news. So immediately the police start receiving a lot of tips. Okay. About who she's been seen with? Yes, yes, yes. 
And the consistent one that came in is that she was often seen in the company of a teacher at the school, Mr. Professor James Snook, S-N-O-O-K. Okay. They, a lot of people had reported that they had seen Theora in his car just a day or two ago. So this is surprising because James Snook was not just a teacher at the school. He was also somewhat of a local celebrity because he held the world's record for pistol shooting and was also a gold medalist at the 1920 Summer Olympic Games for the 50-meter team pistol shooting. Oh, he is good with his weapon. He is, and he's familiar with a rifle range. He is. Yes. He taught veterinary medicine at Ohio State University and had done so for some time. So he had made a name for himself as more of a tenure member of the faculty, well-respected. So the detectives are like, interesting. Let's call and see where Mr. Professor Snook was. Now, his assistant answered, answers the phone and says, you know, um, he, I think he's actually at the shooting range where he spends a majority of his, of his time. time. So they went to check and indeed they found Professor Snook there shooting a rifle and they asked him to come in for some questioning. Um, the detectives wanted to know what Professor Snook knew, you know, of Theora Hicks and they just are trying to see what they can see pull it some thread here this right? is how we start mm-hmm. first does he even deny he knows her well they started with what were your movements the night before so oh. the professor told them that he and theora hicks okay he admitted that he did were professional friends nothing else okay She was in his car because he was putting together a book and he needed her help with typing. She was transcribing. She was doing the the typing. You know, men couldn't be bothered with such tasks back in 1929. We were the only ones good with our fingers back then. Yes, we have the nimble fingers. (laughs) So um, they had been discussing payment for this service. Oh, okay. That sounds nefarious. For typing. And one thing that that, uh, Detective Schallenberger noticed right away is that Professor Snook's hand was bandaged. Yeah, so they asked him about this, and he was like, yeah, I hurt my hand while I was working on my car. Like, my goodness. You're you're a jack of all trades. That's exactly what I was going to say. You're a gold medalist in shooting. You're a professor of veterinary medicine and a mechanic. Yeah, that's it. It is rare to find so many endearing qualities about a man. He is the whole package. Mm-hmm. So he told the police that on the night of, you know, when Theora likely died, the night in question, he had stayed late at his office. He didn't leave till seven or eight. Not sure which. And then he drove to the country club to get some shooting glasses which, if you don't know, are literally were like glasses that you would shoot at. Okay, no kidding. Shooting glasses. Yeah, okay. we didn't we didn't worry about Mother Earth back then. We just shot glass up did. into nature. Sure did. It's probably yeah, better. All over the f- ground. Glass is better for nature than plastic. Yeah, yes. But the clay targets we use now are, oh, are much, much better. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then he said, excuse me, because I had to take a drink, and I'm probably going to forget to edit that out later. I don't care. All it right. was coffee, by the way. It is coffee. 
And then he purchased a newspaper on the way home. He met his wife at home around 9.30 p.m. Oh, there's a wife. There's a wife. Yeah. Professor Snook believed that the school's night watchman could confirm with the police that he was indeed in the office and that others from his stops would do the same to verify his, his movements. So the officer like, officers are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we will be verifying that information. Thank you. I am i don't know if that's what Detective Schellenberger's voice sounded like, but in my it head does it now. does. Yes, yes. So as they're going about their exploration of trying to verify his whereabouts, Detective Schellenberger receives an intriguing phone call from the coroner's office before they could interview to verify Mr. Schnook or Professor Snook's alibi. They found a gunshot. No. A man had just walked into the coroner's office, asked to view the body of Theora Hicks. The man was upset about her death and stated that he knew her well. His name was Marion Myers, and he fit the description of the person who was a little closer to her age. The other guy. The other guy that people said they had seen her with recently. So the detectives are like, hmm, you know what murderers do sometimes? Sometimes they insert themselves in an investigation. So now we have two suspects. Yes, because this man insisted on seeing her body. And so the detectives um, sent officers to find Mr. Myers, and they discovered that he was a state employee. He worked for the State Department of Agriculture and conducted research at Ohio State University. And so they figure out that this is actually how this Marion Myers and um, Theora Hicks found one another. Okay. Because he, he was doing research He's at the university. He's there researching. Mm-hmm. And, yep. Yep. So um, Detective Schellenberger went to back to um, Professor Snook's office, talk to his staff as much as they could, and they were like, we actually have no idea if he stayed that late in the office because we didn't stay that late right. in the office. Can we confirm that he was still here when we left? Yes, but we leave at five. Right. So I have no idea if he stayed till seven or eight. And so um, they did say, though, that the next day, so the morning that Theora's body was found, The professor did come in and ask his staff to take care of and clean his car, which wasn't unusual for for him to come in and say, hey, staff, my university staff, go and clean my car. But it was weird for them to have been asked to do it first thing in the morning and have it be an all day, like, this is what your job is today. You are to clean every detail of my car. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So And what did they find when they were cleaning his car? Well, I don't what the police could find is that the car had been extensively cleaned. Okay. So All you're right? not gonna find any prints or well hair. We'll get back to that. But the the or the staff didn't say that they found, you know, blood. Big, yeah, anything big. It was just like this big hurried thing of you must go and clean my car, which was odd to them. Um So the professor's car had been left at the shooting range because that's where the detectives had met up with him. Remember, they found him at the shooting range. Oh, so when they took him for questioning, they drove him. Yep. So um, they went and got they went back to the station to pick up the keys for the car. And then they obtained a search warrant at that point in time. 
not only for Professor Snook's vehicle, but also for Marion Meyer's vehicle as well. Oh, for his. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, um, other officers located Marion Myers, and um, he they found him at a fraternity house on campus, as All a matter right. of fact. And they were like, we're going to, no, we're not just going to question you, Megan. They arrested him on suspicion. Now, they have not arrested the professor. Okay. At this point in time. But Mr. Myers, they immediately arrest and bring him and bring him into the station for I mean, questioning. Mean they used to do all kinds of interesting stuff, but yes. I do find that a little suspicious. I don't in terms love of, that. Well, I don't because no. I don't think there's enough to do that. Reasonable suspicion, mm-hmm. you can start an investigation, but you're mm-hmm. not going to make an arrest on reasonable right. suspicion. Suspicion, You're going to make an arrest on probable cause. You haven't even interviewed, you haven't even asked this guy anything. You've got witnesses that, sa- that say, well, first of all, we have him going in and asking to view Theora's body. Which is maybe weird to them or could lead up to there being a clue later, but there's also a justifiable reason for it. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to say he had a thing for her. he wanted to see if it was really her. Right. He heard that she was murdered and didn't believe it. You know, Correct. lots of things. Exactly. So when he um, he's pleading with the officers the entire time that he has nothing to do with the murder, he said, you know, I will cooperate, but I had nothing to do with it. And the officers are like, well, if you had nothing to do with it, then you don't have anything to worry about. And then he's like, yeah, but you're arresting me. I'm a little worried. <laughs> right. So when he gets to the station, Detective Schellenberger interviews him, asks about his relationship with Theora. He said, yeah, I have been close friends with her for two years. Um, but then since then, our relationship has cooled. So in other words, we used to bang, but yeah. now we no longer bang. Yeah, That's she, what I read she, into that. She got eyes for someone mm-hmm. else. He said, I was in Columbus Thursday night and I had returned to Bono, the Bono area, when a fraternity brother called me earlier in, earlier today and told me about Theora's death. Okay. And he thought, because it was his fraternity brother that called him, he thought that he was being pranked. Yeah. So he phoned. I can see that. Yes. He phoned the police to see if it was true. And they told him that he just needed to come return. Right. Okay. We're not going to tell you anything. Right. And, which is normal. Yep. Open, active investigation. Yep. So um, now we have a search warrant for both of the, the cars. And they started with Dr. Uh, Schnook's car. When, when they arrived at the shooting range, they were disappointed because the vehicle absolutely had been cleaned very well. It was evident that the exterior and interior of the car had been detailed. So, but still on their search, they looked for areas that, you know, they were kind of hoping that a general office person wouldn't think to clean. And they did find something interesting. So they looked under the flooring, in the creases, things like that. They opened the passenger door, and one of the detective no- detectives noticed what looked to be a drop of blood on the door jam. So he collected the sample, and it would be taken to the police chemist to see what it was. So in 1929, you know, we don't have DNA, but what we do have is we can um, come up with the blood um, type, and so if the blood type in the door jam matched that of Theora, then in the eyes of the law, that's a match, okay, for the time. Now, this is going to take several days, but at least they have, like, a lead. Now, I will tell you that Marion Meyer's car had not been recently cleaned. 
it was used, clearly used. It looked just like any other of our cars probably right now where you can Mine's tell. bad. Yeah, where you can tell that All the someone's DNA is lived there. in it. Yeah. Right. Yep. It had not, nothing had been tried to be cleaned no. up. All right. Even more interesting. So, and, and nothing was found in Marion Meyer's vehicle. But as they go back to Dr. Schnook's vehicle, they find in the trunk a ball peen hammer. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. It's going to match uh, the mm. head wounds. They also found stained gloves, which were obviously taken to the uh, police chemist as well to see if it was the same blood match type. As good as they could have Mm -hmm. done back in the 20s. Correct, correct. At this point in time, Detective Schorenberger now gets a warrant to search Professor Snook's home. Mm -hmm. Now, this is pretty fast and good investigation it is it's moving it's, along expeditiously it really is beautiful word that that turned me on a little bit expeditiously i, know. I have a thesaurus <sighs> so they um they actually decided to at this point in time hold dr schnooks on suspicion as well good idea but as is it as is normal if they don't charge one of them within 48 hours they have to let them go they must okay so that is why they're moving so quickly to try to get this warrant at this time for Professor Snook's home. And they work on, after they get that, the scope of the search would be for articles of clothing or articles that appeared to have blood on them. And when they arrive, Mrs. Snook was actually home and she let the detectives in with no process. No protest because she hoped that the lack of evidence would be able to set her son, her son, her husband free. He can come home from his holding cell because uh, she knows I'm his alibi, right? Like though, she's like, I know he got home at nine thirty p.m. There was nothing amiss. There is nothing to find in my house. Seven or eight, even even if he did leave at seven or eight and not earlier than that, honey, love. There's still an hour and a half. Honey, love. Uh, Yeah, hour, hour and a half here, too. Well, and in the home, they discover a piece of dry cleaning that was just picked up from the cleaners. And it was one of the jackets of the professors. All right. It had a stained sleeve that most certainly could have been blood. The slip showed that it was dropped off the day after the murder. Okay. It's not looking good for you, Professor. No. And the then it started to look like there wasn't going to be anything else found until they looked into the home's furnace, like log wood furnace. Yeah. Okay. Inside the furnace, much to Mrs. Snook's dismay, was a shirt with stains on it and a woman's vanity case. Mrs. Snook had no idea how those items got into her furnace. Yeah, your husband Suddenly, wasn't going to have those cleaned. He needed to burn those. Yes, and and it turns out he's not good. He might be a mechanic. He might be a hell of a shooter, a gold medalist, and a professor of veterinary medicine, but he is no caveman because he can't burn shit. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. So now they're like... I'm too smart to be able to light a fire. I can't fire? No. No. I mean, I actually identify with that. I'm terrible Mm. at lighting a campfire. If you don't give me lighter fluid, it's probably not going to light. We're freezing. Right. (laughs) 
We're going to freeze to death. Oh, so I found this interesting, though. Even after all of this, they're like, you know, we still haven't ruled Marion Myers out. Really? Well, that's what I thought. I was like, but are you sure that you Is haven't? Is he a co-conspirator? No. Okay. No. Hey, weirder things have happened. So, well, true. I mean, was there a love triangle here? This is crime curious. I mean, I've taken you on a lot of roller You have coasters. taken me on some rides. For off. sure. No, he, he's not a co-conspirator. But at this point in time, what's pissing me off is that they are handling Professor Snooks gingerly and they're handling Marion like he's a criminal. Yeah. And it's pissing me off. They threw him like, because, a, like a rock in a bag, man. Yeah. They have no evidence. None. 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 Other than he showed up at the funeral home. Right. That's he it. just wanted to verify that his friend really was dead. And that's, that's it. That's it. That's all they and have on him. And he's being held. But it's 1929 and they're thinking, Professor Snooks has got so much going for him. He has a small child. He has a wife. He has a wonderful job those at the university. A gold the, medal. Those are all the reasons why you commit a murder. Yeah. Right. Why people think that you can't what possibly does, be. What reason does the young frat boy have to do any of this? For sure. Other than a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jealousy. I'll throw that out. So miss, this whole time as they're mistreating Marion Myers, he's like, listen, I did not know about her death until my friend called me. Will you interview my friend? So they're like, okay, fine. That's probably a good idea. Well, the friend tells them the same story. And they're able to verify that he actually called Marion Myers long distance to tell him about the death because he knew that he would want to know right away, which cost money. Oh, yeah. You okay. know, this this friend was willing to do that. Um, So they're like, you know, all right, we've got no evidence against him, but let's take one more shot at him. Let's just go ahead and take him to the morgue where her body is. They made him look at all of the damage that had been done to her to try to gauge his reaction. And this is what pisses me off because they expected that to break him into a confession and it did not. He was in shock and just showed no emotion whatsoever. Yeah, that would probably be me. And, and just like, yeah, I, I see it. I don't know who did it, but it yeah, wasn't that's me. Yeah, exactly. So at this point in time, they have to let him go. They have nothing. He has not confessed. He, their little tactics didn't work to, you know, their 1929 they bullying. They have a suspect with evidence. Right. So on his way out of the police station, he didn't say a whole lot. He gets into his car. And the only statement that he made to the police was that now he is very scared of Professor Snook. Okay. After seeing the damage that he believes she did, or he did, excuse me, to Theora. Did, so it, he knew that Professor Snook was a suspect? It's all around campus. Okay. So yes. it's not, or the police even told him, maybe they were asking if they were in on it or maybe. something, but he's scared now. Yes. Oh yeah. He's scared. I of, just wondered oh. if he had some type of a prior relationship with the professor or knew that um, she had been, you know, hanging no, out with the, with the old fella. I don't think that he knew that. Okay. Mm-mm. So they're like, all right, I guess we got to try to change gears and it's probably time for us to start coming down a little bit harder on uh, old Snook here. Well, what with all of the evidence in his uh, furnace and right? his house the, his, and his, his car. car and yeah, only the murder weapon. That's I mean, fine. That's but let's keep looking at the guy who just wanted to verify and that potential his DNA. And yeah, yeah. His alibis that don't have alibis. But that just goes to show just how 
unevolved the human brain was at the time of, we can't possibly suspect this man. He's a professor. So what then what they do, you're not going to love this. Okay. Because now that they switch tactics and they're going to go heavy on Professor Snook, they refuse him rest and sleep. Oh, yeah, we can't, we can't do that. No. And they, it goes in the force and coercion part for suppression. Right. But they did this, and then for hours, they would just slowly reveal more and more evidence that they had against him. I don't mind that, but you have to be humane with the right. time frames of the interviews or the interrogations. Yep. They first told him what they thought would be the truth. They had said that he had killed Miss Hicks and then transported her body to the shooting range. Um, then they said, we have a blood-like stain um, on your car, and we think that that's from you closing the door on her hand because Theora did have a um, what appeared to be an injury on her hand like it had been um, shut in a door. Okay. So then they show him showed him the charred articles of clothing from his furnace. Oops. The cleaned jacket that looked to have had blood stains on it with the tickets Oops. of the day before. And then as they brought each piece of evidence out, it really didn't seem to phase Professor Snook in any way. He just kind of sat there uninterested in what they had to say. And so now the news of, of Professor Snook being investigated in this murder, it's national news at this point in time, okay? It's front page news all over Ohio, certainly, but... Along with with that press came multiple photos of Professor Snook and of Theora Theora Hick. Okay, photos, photos, mm-hmm, being published all over the newspaper. So then, once their photos are published, now we have some more witnesses coming forward. Oh, I've seen them together. Exactly. Okay. Saying, "Oh, I know. Oh my gosh, I know these these people." One man came forward that broke the case wide open, Megan. And it was none other than a bellman for the local YMCA. He told the police that he had something of great interest for them to know. He told detectives that Miss Hicks rented an apartment from the YMCA and often came home with Professor Snook at her side. He would often go and stay the night with her. So much so that until the newspaper articles, he thought the two were husband and wife. Oh, my. Yes, the bellman. They they have all the good gossip. Bingo bongo, man. They they know your life. And, like, she's actually paying for that. I mean, she may be renting it, but come on. You're so brilliant. He's he's given her a place to stay so I they can I just up. can't surprise you with anything. You can't, but doesn't it seem like her roommates would have been like, she doesn't stay here often. They just said, well, I don't know that she spent, that she necessarily... They rented that room by the hour? Well, no, they rented the whole apartment. But maybe she did, maybe she didn't stay the night all the time. True, and he know? probably didn't either because he's got a wife and kids right. at home. So, so they, they rent the thing for all the time, but they're just going to shack up here and there. They went down to the, the detectives go down to the local YMCA. They took the uh, keys. Remember, Miss Hicks had a set of keys on her. Yes. So they, they took them off from her and they wanted to see if it fit the lock. When they arrived at, at the door where she was reported by this bellman to live, those keys didn't work. Oh, shit. Mm-mm. So 
they contact the manager of the YMCA and see, is Why? this true? Like, is the, is the is the is what the bellman said true? And the manager says, um, "Yeah, Miss Hicks did indeed live at the YMCA, and that it was Professor Snook who paid for the apartment every month." I knew it. Yeah, the morning the body was found, before the news hit that Miss Hicks had died, the professor came into the YMCA, gave her keys to the apartment, gave Miss Hicks keys to the apartment manager, and told her that. He was in. He was no longer going to rent it, and that was that. He gave them two sets of keys that were returned to the manager. His and hers. Exactly, and left. So now, let's go back to this holding cell. Okay. Let's go back to the detectives relieving or, or releasing little bits of information that they had against him to Professor Snook and how he's totally unfazed. Well, when they get to the part about the apartment and what they know of that. He's like, oh, fuck, I am screwed. A hundred percent. He lowers his head in shame. He gets quiet. And uh, the, then at this point in time, um, he's asked, did you have a relationship with Miss Hicks? And he didn't say that he did, but he just agreed with a nod of his head. Then he was asked about the keys. And the manager of the YMCA told the detectives that he was given um, two keys to the room and that he had been returned two keys. They asked how he had both sets of keys if the other was supposed to be with Miss Hicks. And this is when Professor Snook finally speaks up and says, you know how. So then he was asked to clarify, by, and the police officers said, or the detective said, you took it from her body? And he said, yes. Okay. So now we have an omission of guilt, whereabouts? But we don't have why. Mm. Oh, and it's we'll and I have there. I have so many guesses. Can I yeah. can I ask? Sure. Okay. Was she pregnant? No. Okay. Not that that has come out. No. I wondered no. if she was like wanting to make the relationship public mm. or starting to threaten him with it, or if he thought he was <sighs> going to be found out and just finally wanted to get rid of the problem. Okay. This is where I want y'all to strap in because this is the part of the roller coaster where we go down and your heart drops into your asshole and you're not sure if you're going to live, you know, oh. on a roller coaster. Oh, I'm aware. I do not like them. Me and too. they do Hate not them. like and me. And that's why, because I don't like my organs dropping into my butt. I, I'm more worried about the ones that are coming up. I, mine come out. I feel them in my chest first. And yeah, yours are going, Sharno always is straight for the ass. I'm going to shit myself. Right. Know no, that. mine's, mine's coming up. coming up. Oh, yes. I'm like, my nipples are tingling, Charnel. What's going to happen <laughs> now? I'm, I'm holding myself. My spidey nipples are tingling. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. All right. So they're like, we, they brought in a stenographer to record the confession. All a right. woman. And of course. <laughs> of course. Exactly. And of course, they ask, you know, they start off like, what's your name? James Howard Schnook. What's your age? 49. Where do you live? All of that stuff, right? The doghouse. <laughs> um, and this is what he said. I met Theora Hicks about three years ago. The friendship continued in a very intimate way ever since. In other words, I hooked up with Theora Hicks. Let's say it in today's terms. We banging. We started banging I three got the years wop. ago. Mm-hmm. She was a good companion. 
She'll do things my wife wouldn't. She's young. Uh Uh-huh. Everything stands up where it's supposed to be. Correct. I have been living with my wife during this three-year period. I'm a piece of shit who's been cheating on my wife for three years. The translation here is so awesome. Mm -hmm. I regarded my wife very highly and I respected her very much as a wife. She cleaned my house. She had my children. She took care of the kids. Yes. And I gave her the respect of my paycheck and that's about it. But this is still a quote from him. But she lacked some of the companionship afforded by Mrs. Hicks. She, Miss Hicks, in other words, she wouldn't let me do anal. Miss Hicks would. I was just going to say she had a pretty mouth, but. Mm, that too. You went right for the ass again. Yeah, that's me. I, can't, <laughs> I see. And I, I went, I went north. Up. You go south. That's right. So, and he, but literally this is his quote. Oh God. <laughs> I have been living with my wife during this three year period and regarded my wife very highly and respected her very much as a wife, but she lacked some of the companionship afforded by Miss Hicks during the three years that I knew Miss Hicks. If that does not say she's younger, she's hotter, and she'll do things my wife wouldn't, nothing does. Like this is the most professional way to say that. Truly. And here's the thing, without sounding like an asshole, all of the things that he've said are like almost normal things that start to occur or or people have a fair, why kill her? Why are we killing her? We're still on the- Break up. We're still on the roller coaster. Oh my God. We're just, are we starting to reach the climax of the hill? Okay. You'll know when we get there. Okay. Well- Where about up well, to my belly you, button? You don't always know. But okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> caught me by surprise. We're getting there. Uh, he said, I did assist her in many ways toward her education, but I found out it wasn't a, as appreciated, excuse me, but I found out it wasn't appreciated as much as I thought it should be. So in other words, in today's translation, I fucking gave that bitch an education and pulled strings for her. And then she started to deny me the pussy. Yeah, hmm. all the reasons she that stopped I stopped doing to the things. Correct. Yeah. Then he goes on to say, "Our association was not a love affair in any sense of the word." I did, which which makes you better. I didn't love her at all. It was just about was giving just her, dicking sex. her down. Yes, yes. But in time, Miss Hicks developed a more determined attitude in regard to dictating my movements, and the final. Accumulation of this occurred on the 13th of June of this year when I met Miss Hicks at the corner of 12th and High Street in the city of Columbus where when we both got into my Ford Coupe and proceeded to drive to Lav Ave. That's fun to say. Lav Ave. Then went out of um, the Fisher Road and to the Columbus Rifle Range of the New York Central Railroad Company during when she um, stated, start, okay, in other words, So she remonstrated with me against leaving the city with my family for the weekend as I had planned to do so. So in other words, she's yelling him. Yes. You're not going. He want, he was going to go leave with his family for the weekend. She didn't like it. And according to, here's where we climax. Okay. According to professor Snooks, she threatened that if I did not go, she would take the life of my wife and baby. Wow. And now she said she was going to kill his wife and baby. This was self defense of others. There you go, Megan. We've reached it. That's his defense. I killed her because she was going to kill my wife and kids. If I went out of town out of these three years, 
she's been okay with me being with my wife and kids because this is after all this is a disappointing climax it's it really is because not from you but from him <laughs> like you couldn't come up with something better i'm assuming that who's um, gonna believe james that? snook only ever gave disappointing climaxes <laughs> okay theora wasn't in it for the climax she was in it for the education benefits that she was getting and just went along with and it. if he's gonna stop doing if she stopped doing that stuff he was stopping doing the other stuff right financing her right and she uh, needed his assistance Mm -hmm. what are the what are the possibilities that she actually had developed some type of love like she's having an affair with an older professor i almost feel like she could have been in love with him and the whole thing was never love for him he was just using her for the whap we'll kind of get to this cardi b that shit yeah we're gonna get to it a little bit more okay he said during this quarrel so they're fighting right about this during this quarrel, she grabbed for the purse in which she sometimes carried a forty-one caliber uh, Derringer. Yeah, Derringer's type of gun, cool mm-hmm. gun. When I that he had given her, he had given her this forty-one um, caliber Derringer. A normal and very valuable gift from a uh, gun person, like yes. he's a sharpshooter, oh, right? He is, or yeah. marksman, I should say. Yeah, he's a gold medalist. In yeah. It. So in the struggle, she was hit on the head with a hammer with the intent to stun her. Oh. She- <laughs> That's why you hit people in the head with a hammer. just to stun. I just want to... Bullshit. I've never seen anybody hit someone with a hammer unless they were intending to kill them. She might be going for... Or GBH, great bodily harm. Right. She might be going for her gun. Let me just take this hammer that I randomly have in my vehicle. In my hand. Within arm shot. And stun her? Okay. She continued desperately. This is still a quote from him. Um, You know, this is all his confession that was being stenographed. Stenographed? That too. I actually made that up too. I don't know if that's right. Recorded. Either one of us, yes. Documented. Exactly, documented. She, oh, almost knocked my tooth. (laughs) Almost knocked my tooth out. It did. She continued desperately and an increased number of blows of increased force um, was necessary to stop her. Realizing then that her skull was fractured and to relieve her suffering, I severed her jugular vein with my pocket knife. You fuck. This so, is the stupidest do, thing Rose, I've ever do heard. Do you hear this? She kept going for her gun. No, she and didn't. And I realized that I had caused her a skull fracture. So to put her out of her misery, I I was humane and severed her jugular. But he's saying he's repeatedly hitting her to stop her from going for this gun. Uh-huh. There's no uh-huh. way she, if she even was going for a gun, which is a lie, by the way, uh-huh. she would have stopped, if not after the first blow, the second. For she sure. would have been knocked out. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He says, I then proceeded to pick up the things that had been scattered during the struggle. What, like her brains? And left. (laughs) Pieces of skull? Fair enough. Fair enough. And left. He said, the instrument when I I used to quiet her was a hammer lying in the back of the seat. After leaving the rifle range, I proceeded home, tossing the purse from the the quarry bridge into the... uh, Oh, how do we say this? Scioto River? S-C-I-O-T-O? I I don't know. I'm not familiar with that river um, in Ohio. After the struggle was over, I discovered the gun was not even in her purse. Oh. Because she wasn't fucking going for her gun. No, she wasn't going for her gun. Mm -mm. There's no imminent threat there. 
no, no. But he's like, oh, she keeps this gun in her purse and that's what she was going for. No, what I that? truly believe is that she thought that they were just out for a joy ride and they were going to hook up and he was like, I am done here and killed what if, her. What if she was just reaching for a purse to get out of the car and leave? Like, dude, you've broken my heart. I'm grabbing my purse and leaving. Well, there's more. Hold on. Oh, God. We're still on the roller coaster, people. So It's the second hill. It's not going it, to be as big as the first one. Right, but it's still a hill. Still yep. going to make things come up or down if you're Charnel. Yes, your asshole's still going to tingle just a little bit. <laughs> so the professor went on to set up his defense. He told the officers that he was afraid that Miss Hicks would have followed through with her threats and that he, she would have killed his family. He said, when she started to get out of the car, I grabbed a hammer from the ledge of the back seat and hit her with the flat side of it. She got out and I followed hitting her again and again. D- these are her last words were, damn you, I'll kill you. How? Those were her last words. But her head's bashed in. And then he says, I kept hitting her. I oh. struck her once with the round end of the hammer. That was a hard one. She was unconscious then and suffering. Um, oh, if she's it, unconscious, how is she suffering? It gets so much worse. She had my sympathy. I didn't want to hit her anymore. I hated to do it. She was lying on her back and moaning slightly when I took out my pocket knife and cut her jugular vein. This is how he renders aid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Her handbag and keys came out of the car in the struggle. Came out like they walked? They flew out somehow. Mm-hmm. Fling, fling and right they did. <laughs> fling, fling and right. God. I gotta say that more. I like that. She would, um, he said, the wound she had on her abdomen and her back This is a quote from him, so I can't fix the grammar. Okay. But the direct quote is, the wound she had on her abdomen and her back was machine cuts. She got them when she fell against the car. So she did have a a, a wound both on her abdomen and back because he was tossing her around yeah. the uh, the outside of the vehicle, repeatedly hitting her, hitting her with this hammer. Okay. I mean, she was not fighting back. She was being, di- you know, ragdolled. She was, be- yeah, she was obtaining injuries. She was being beaten, exactly. To death. Yep. With a hammer. He then described returning home in a haze. He sat in the dark thinking of his actions when his wife came down to check on him. She didn't see the blood all over him because it was dark. He changed and went to bed, but didn't sleep. Oh, you poor, poor thing. The next day, he pretended it didn't happen and didn't know what the and didn't know that the body was found until it had hit the news. But he put her there at he a did. range that he went to often mm-hmm. and knew that people would go to first thing. Mm-hmm. His choice in hiding spot, he did not win hide and seek gold medals at that Olympics. You know what we say sometimes is that they truly want to be caught. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. Or that you cared enough about the person that you've just murdered that you want them to be found. Right. Right. Which is not meant to be a redeeming quality for this asshole, by the way. I'm just throwing, speculating on why. Not at all. The grand jury did decide to charge him with first degree murder charges. Um, they believe that they had enough on first for first degree because of the fact that he slit her jugular vein when she was he said she was already unconscious and suffering so they're like mm, no euthanasia is not a defense no the hammer blows were in response to the danger that he thought himself to be in but the act of killing her when she was subdued made him 
a murderer in their eyes at that point in time. Okay. So June 24th to the, no, not 2029. 1929. Yep. Got you, boo. That's the year. 1929. But he was told he could change his mind. The state expected this. They knew from his confession that he was trying to make it look as if he had killed her to protect his family. He might also explore the avenue of a temporary insanity plea. So it was suggested that when he spoke about the hammer blows, he felt as if he had to protect everyone. What? Everyone. So since they expected it, the state had already set up interviews for him with three doctors and they wanted him to be examined physically and mentally i hope one of them was a veterinarian (laughs) you beast well he was Uh, a veterinarian right he was um veterinary science right they spent most of the day with with professor snook they took blood samples um they put him through a series of tests by the end of the day they said you know what he's totally normal sane guy Okay, they just had to wait for the blood test to be examined, which could take weeks. I don't know what they if they thought they were going to find insanity in the blood. I'm not sure. Syphilis. Oh, maybe. It's 1929. There was syphilis everywhere. Yeah, and and it it did used to make people go Uh bash it. Absolutely, I think it still can untreated. Yes, yeah, most of the people by that time realized something isn't looking quite so right down there and they head on to the clinic right, right. <laughs> or ask discreetly for a, can somebody please call me a penicillin in? Yeah. <laughs> just something, just a little, just one. a little something. Yeah. I want to do a couple shots of that. <laughs> so the defense went ahead though and hired their own medical team to examine him as well. As they will and have a right to. Yes. Yes. I knew you were going to say that. Also, they asked for a change of venue, which I think was smart. Um, yeah, but I don't know that I'd granted it as the well, judge. They did. They went ahead and did it, but it did push because that judge back is like, "No, more. thanks. I don't want to do this." Yeah, for sure. You, you <laughs> really not. okay? In all fairness, you can't you can't change venue on every case, but for being oh. 1929 and small town and everybody knowing everything, it probably is fair to say that he wouldn't have had received a fair trial there. I'm so I'm so sorry because. Um, <laughs> Did I just say all of that for nothing? Well, no, you taught people something. (laughs) But in this particular case, uh, the change of venue, the judge believed was done purposely to try to delay the trial. And he didn't want that being delayed anymore. So he denied the change of venue, but he did allow the other doctors and for their blood sample to be taken. So that would take a few weeks. But he didn't want it delayed even more by doing the change of venue. And and thank you, which is why I originally said I wouldn't. I love that he did that because that still happens today. Mm-hmm. defense attorneys on a case will take any tactic possible and this is not a dig on them they're doing their right. jobs right of course and you want to delay things a little bit longer so you ask for the change of venue knowing you're not going to get it but the judge did right by delaying it for purposes of the um defense right. experts because you cannot deny that right that right. would have been grounds i believe for if not a mistrial at least some type of an appeal for sure definitely if they didn't, sure. weren't allowed to do that to present their mm-hmm. own expert witnesses yeah, absolutely of course of course um and so the judge who wanted no more delays both c- called both sides to his chambers to discuss what was going to happen because he figured out that that um 
Professor Snook might possibly change his plea to not guilty for reasons of insanity, okay? Because at this point in time, he has pled um, guilty for self-defense, okay? So he calls everybody into his chamber, chambers, and he's like, I do not want any more delays in this, and we can work over the weekend if possible, but we are not, like, we're not going to delay this any further, Um and so both sides agreed. Okay, we will work the weekends if we have to. We will get this expedited and um, have the doctors, those three doctors for the defense come in over the weekend, work with defense, you know, Professor Snook and get things going. And they did, but it didn't work out so well for them because by Monday morning, even the defense's doctors found Professor Snook sane. Okay. So he cannot plead not guilty by, by reason, reason of, of insanity. insanity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Now he is changing his plea to not guilty, acting in self-defense. Okay. okay. Which um, was what he was trying to do to begin with. And they did still have this, they had this underlying state of that he had emotional insanity. He was overcome with his emotions, which led to Miss Hicks' death. All right. Which means you can be criminally culpable. So now that plea is called guilty but mentally ill. Oh, okay. So there's not guilty by reason of insanity and guilty but mentally ill. Got ya. Yeah. I wondered about it that. It doesn't happen very often. I bet not. I did wonder what that was all about, if that was even a thing anymore in today's mm-hmm. age. And, you know. I don't see. There's a there's a way for it, but it's not often. Yeah, and it just off, uh, changes um, the sentence okay. in terms of treatment and where you might get sent. But those are the ones where often you'll be sent to um, a mental health facility, but then turned over to... Um, the Department of Corrections. Okay, you're not like sense. released afterwards. That makes sense. Whereas when you're too insane to stand trial, you go to the mental hospital and they can either restore you to competency so that you can stand trial or they write us a nice note that says, this guy's so crazy, he ain't ever getting better. I got you. And then okay. they can often be let out, but they're usually in some type of a facility or right. treatment forever. Or, yeah. Yes, those type or of things. Someone, it's okay. how it's supposed to go. Yeah. I'm sure some of you out there have horror stories otherwise. <laughs> For sure. So the trial began on August 3rd, 1929, and the state called the state doctor who who performed the autopsy on Miss Hicks. He stated that he believed that this was premeditated murder, something that, of course, the defense jumps on right away of, I'm sorry, how is the doctor that, that did the autopsy determining this is premeditated murder? But they're, so they're like, tell us how you can prove that from doing an autopsy. And the doctor pointed out that the professor had cut her throat to end her suffering um, of the damage that he had already caused her. He had a knife on him. He had a hammer on him. Those were the two instruments that were absolutely used. So. I like it. It's a good argument. Yeah. They it's also, just usually the prosecution's making that argument, not right, the person but testifying. The, the but the hey, I, was just I, like, I dig it. I think this was premeditated, premeditated. Absolutely. Premeditation does not have to require a long period of planning in, in, in advance. Mm-mm. So he was going with premeditation occurred within minutes mm-hmm. because there was this mm-hmm. assault that occurred yep. and the premeditation happened there. Yes, when with he the decided, GBH, when you decided to hit her the second time or the third time with the hammer, when he decided to cut her throat, and then cut her throat, when she, when he clearly had stated that she was unconscious at that point and suffering, she was no longer a threat to no him, no longer a threat, exactly. He had effectively he, defended himself with his autopsy, could collaborate or cooperate, excuse me, that she absolutely would have been 
defenseless, no threat at that point in time, based on the injuries on her head. She was laying there making noises. Yeah. Right. And again, he put her out of her misery. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So I agree. Definite premeditation there. They also called the owner of the dry cleaners where he took his suit and talked about how, yep, it definitely looked like it had blood on it. Yep. We tried to get it out and couldn't because it's a blood stain. Yeah. Yeah. They basically just turned brown or pinkish. Mm -hmm. Remember, I worked at a dry cleaner. There were even some witnesses that came forward, including one that had been um, that had actually seen Miss Hicks with someone in the parking lot of the rifle range. They appeared to have been fighting at the time in the parking lot of the rifle range. He said that he didn't stop because he had his daughters with him and did not want to get his young daughters um, exposed to that. He didn't think about it again until the news of Miss Hicks' death was published, and he waited to report what he had seen because he didn't want to get involved. We see that I a lot. I hate that, we see that but a yes, lot. I know. Mm-hmm. Now, this was an important um, testimony because, according to the confession of Mr. Snooks there, Miss Hicks didn't get out of the car for long without being hit over, hit over and over with the hammer. Because remember, he stated that she was going for her purse— and he thought that she was a danger. And so she he grabbed that hammer to stun her. And according to this witness, no, they were outside of that car arguing. She hadn't been hit yet. No. So there's definitely more about the story and his his, you know, confession than what uh, he was willing to tell the police. Um so then there were some, this was weird, guys. This is just weird. 1929, man. The prosecution also came forward with, they said that they actually thought that it was possible that Professor Snook had actually drugged her, drugged Theora, and then killed her. So this theory was formed because the autopsy doctor found beef in her stomach that he that had not digested at all. She'd had no time to digest it. So it's possible that the beef had been poisoned. They thought it was maybe laced with drugs. And so the doctor... And had just, they just gone to dinner? This is a weird test. We don't know. We don't know that. Okay. Possibly, because it was are dinner gonna, time. Are you going to say something gross? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you something gross, and it has to do with animals. It's not as bad as the rabbit test from the David Brown um, case. Thank you. But it's gross. Okay. So, and no one dies, but it's still gross. So the doctor, to test this theory that this piece of beef was laced with drugs, the doctor gave the undigested beef to a dog. Okay. The dog acted weird and wobbly after eating it as if he was drugged with some kind of sedative. He did survive. The dog didn't die. But guys, I'm thinking I would act really weird like I was drugged if I had been given an undigested piece of meat from a dead person's stomach. But a dog wouldn't. You don't think so? Maybe not. They Dogs eat, eat they the ass eat out the, of deer in my yard, man. They can. I, I don't. I don't like that they tested it on dogs, but it's 1929 too. Right. Um, They're definitely doing worse. You to know, dogs here's right now. the thing: is that interesting? Yes. Would that be scientifically acceptable today? No, no. it wouldn't pass a Daubert test if you're a Daubert state. All. No evidentiary. No. Um, uh, no. But in in the doctor's mind, accurate. that means the meat was drugged. Okay. But I do see what you're saying. They do eat. I mean, dogs do eat meat from dead carcasses yeah absolutely and even if it wasn't drugged it just could have been bad meat 
Oh, right, exactly. You know, you can get all um, kinds of weird foodborne. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you've had food poisoning before. Sure have. At Michael's. Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Um, I remember those panties wherever they got. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> that I left in the Michaels. Yep. That's what I'm going to be famous for someday. Michaels is going to sponsor us someday simply because I shit myself in their store they and should. have told the world about it. Yeah. Yeah. They have yeah. lovely bathrooms. <laughs> they sure do. It was very clean. Uh, it At was. First. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, the dog beef test isn't my favorite thing about this case. Uh, no, I, I did find that a little bit weird. But these are just some of their theories. Okay. Now, the defense did challenge this because, um, oh, I'm sorry. What I'm, They didn't challenge the dog thing. Oh. What they challenged was that they also brought in, the prosecution also brought in the newspaper writer who had um, been present. He took down the confession. And the defense did point out that that confession was under duress. It was. Because they, remember, they openly said that they... Um, deprived him of deprived food him and of, sleep. Yes, of, of nourishment and sleep. But the ju- judge did decide to allow it just to give allow the confession and allow the testimony from the writer who... Um, stenographed the the uh, confession. I want to call it stenographed. Yeah, that too. Whatever it is. I don't but know if either one of the words we're saying are real. Oh, no. I just, in my head. These are crime-curious words. We make up we our own. We live in our own. This is its own world. You know that, right? Like, do you all know as listeners, you're in the crime-curious world where it is weird. There are penises and off-color jokes and yeah. it's just and made up words and mispronounced towns and don't at me about it because I don't live everywhere she doesn't and I just don't care <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's the difference between her and me right. like come on um so anyway the reason that the judge allowed it is because they did he wanted the jury to have a full scope of the confession just because it was such a big part of the defense that they were going for that it was self-defense. When okay? you make a decision to suppress evidence, one of the things that you're supposed to look at is whether the danger of um, the probative value of the information outweighs the prejudice. Okay. And in this case, it sounds like that's exactly what mm-hmm. he did, was found that it was more probative than prejudicial. Yep. Or if it was that prejudicial, it was still of such probative value for the jury to hear that yep. it needed to come in. Yep. And it did. Um, now, I found this adorable. They, the defense wanted character witnesses. Sure. Okay. Who is going to speak about Professor Snope's character? I see it all the time. Mm, the two people that they had. Well, wouldn't you know it? It's Professor Snope's own mother. No, don't use your mom. And. Your wife. His mother-in-law. Wow. Which, the mother-in-law, would, you know, it's 1929, and so it's not unusual for men to to skirt around on their husbands, or on their wives, excuse me. Yeah, I suppose. And so the mother-in-law is probably just like, you know, her husband probably skirted around on her. He was so a good husband and father. Right. He provided for provided my daughter. Provided money, right? A nice home, nice clothes, jewelry, all of the material things. So he's a good husband. And he was killing that nasty harlot to protect her daughter and grandchild that's right so of course i will testify it to what a fantastic man he is i feel like they could have chosen better i don't know why the mother-in-law had a wisconsin like type drawl to her but she did 
don't you know? It's Ohio. Uh, so then they go ahead and they call Professor Snoop as well. I keep wanting to call him Professor Snape. If you're a Harry Potter fan, anybody else out there? Well, you thinking, also said Snoop and it's Snow. <laughs> it's Snook. It's That's snook. much worse. Snoop, it's Snook, Snoop. Oh my God. It's none of the things. It is it's none of the things snook. we just said. What was that? <laughs> my phone God, fell you off my lap. God, the hell out of me. <laughs> I startle you a lot on this podcast. I know. I've, I told you before. I'm, eventually, I will wet my pants. <laughs> it's going to happen. You're attached to a cord. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. I just um, got to see some crime curious gymnastics. All professionalism is out the window. It's I gone. needed my water terribly. The coffee made my throat dry. Mm. So, Professor James Snook, not Snope. And if I've been saying Snope this whole time, too, ah, sorry, guys. You started with Snook. I just think we might have changed to Snope at some point in time in yeah, here. Yeah, we might have. It's Snook. It, it right. is. We don't care. He's a fucking bad man. He we don't care what his name was. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right. So, he testifies about how he met Ms. Hicks. His wife, by the way, is in the courtroom hearing all this he's talking about how they met they he tells the jury they fell for one another however he was up front with the police about how it was nothing but carnal pleasure it was not love for we him. were banging right that's it jurors um, don't like that though exactly so in a jurors you know to the jury he was saying they fell for one they just couldn't help it you know emotions they ran high and sparks think about flew. Your, think about your jury too i bet you you've got 12 men Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I did not see that. Mm. I'm speculating. I know at one point in time they did have a woman, but it had to delay the trial a little bit longer because she got super ill. Okay. So they did have at least one woman. Did they test the meat on her? No, don't spit your water out. Good God. I have got it. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) She almost spit all over the computer. Um, Spitters or quitters, Charnel? And I am no quitter, Megan. (laughs) So he did testify, though, that they had an understanding about their relationship. Their relationship was for their mutual companionship only and nothing more. Nothing else would ever come of it. And then he went on to tell about the night that she, quote unquote, died. I'm sorry, sir. You mean the night that you brutally murdered her? her. Uh, I can't even say it. The night he put her out of her misery. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. He recounts what happened. He talks about how she threatened his family. And he truly believed that she had a gun on her and that she was going to go right over and shoot his baby and his wife. Because he taught her how to shoot. He knows that she's an excellent marksman. Now you're from, like, Georgia. I know. I don't know where I am now, but... I, I don't want to do a snooty professor voice because I like snooty professors and I don't like I this do guy. So I'm not going to give him the snooty professor voice. I also like Southern people too. So I'm not sure. He's got to have some sort of accent. So you guys know I'm talking in his vernacular. (laughs) You do what you do, you doubt. Otherwise, this is just a boring podcast to listen to. It really is. Just (laughs) pick whatever accent you want. Yeah, he was worried because he knows he's an excellent teacher. And my God, he's an Olympic shooter. Mm -hmm. So if she's got her eyes set on his wife... Well, she's not going to miss her target because he taught her how to shoot. Follow the reasoning here? I do. Mm, What a tangled web he's weaving. (laughs) He stated that he killed her only out of self-defense. That is it, people. Self-defense or pity? Self-defense. Was he putting her out of her misery or what? Mm, No, it was self-defense. She was going to go and take that little gun and kill his wife and baby. 
Did he explain how it was self-defense after she was already defenseless on the ground? Well, he didn't need to state that because the prosecution went ahead and made cross-examination. sure that, that was in there. Remember, I was a former prosecutor. There's nothing better when then they decide to take the stand and testify. It sure is. I bet it's super fun. You have a right to remain silent for a reason. Mm-hmm. But like I've said before, not everybody has the ability. I, I, I am one of those that struggles with the ability to stay silent. But if I, know. If I was ever in trouble with the law... That's going to be about the time I find my silence. I would think so. I hope so. Well, he couldn't find a silence to begin with either. Not at all. No. Um, I, I understand being under duress and um, when they brought him in there, those things can all lead to possibly some inaccuracies. But, you know, the solution to that is to, I'm not talking. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing to say. I have nothing left Are you to holding say. me here or not? Yep. Yep. So Give me an attorney. At this point in time, the case is handed over to the jury. It took them 30 minutes, Megan. Hey, that's pretty That's pretty fast for a 1920s jury I, murder I trial. They found Dr. James Snook guilty of murder in the first degree, and they fixed death as his sentence. So they did not believe his cockamamie. I do love that word. Cockamamie. His cockamamie story about, I thought she had the gun in her purse and yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. They absolutely had a problem with the fact that he hit her repeatedly with the um, hammer and in his confession admitted she was unconscious and then he let her bleed out to murder her. Yes. So in the months leading up to the execution, his attorneys really did try to appeal, but each appeal was struck down and he was scheduled for execution February 28th, 1930. The governor declined to step in and stop it. All right. And at this point in time, Dr. Snook confessed to everything. When he realizes that he is faced with death, now it's between him and the good Lord, and he's decided to come completely clean. Is this right before his execution? Yes. Final confession. Yep. He, he might have been a religious man. To the prison warden, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is his full confession to the prison warden of what had really happened. He said that um, Miss Theora, excuse me, Hicks was going to expose him. She would tell the world about their affair and that he would be ruined. Um, It would end his marriage. It would end his teaching career. So he planned very carefully to kill her. This was the only way that he could ensure that they weren't exposed. Um, The agreement had been that they weren't going to have feelings for each other that it was carnal pleasure only. And then she started to withhold the carnal pleasure because she wanted more. Yeah. She wanted a a relationship with him. And he got angry that she withheld the carnal pleasures from him. If you look this case up, there are, there's not a ton of um, coverage on this. Not a lot of great articles on this, Uh, but one mm, was a little off color and I'm just not sure about this. or or, excuse me, what these articles were saying was that Fiora was like really into BDSM and was really well known as being like kinky and promiscuous. Which is why he liked her. Yeah, and all of this stuff. Doing the things the wife wasn't doing. But I don't, and I found this after the fact, like I found that article very much after the fact, and I didn't use it as as part of my resources, but I just wanted to include that there was, possibly those rumors listen but what it boils down to is she wanted more yeah and he 
didn't. And he then she was like, well, then I'm going to tell everybody about us. It's been three years sure. of this. And that's when he planned her death and carried it out. So he does tell the the prison warden. Yeah, this. that's his confession. But don't you still think that in 1929, not only would he have probably not ended up divorced, but he probably wouldn't have lost his job either. Probably not. No. He would have had a long argument with his wife who mm-hmm. wouldn't have wanted to end the marriage for their baby and for her security. Exactly. She would have told him not to do it again. Yep. I agree. I agree com- so completely with you. Yeah. Yes. And Theora... Needless murder is all I'm saying. It is. Oh, absolutely. And this is what I found interesting. He told the warden that he honestly believed that the police would not track, like that he wouldn't be caught. He honestly believed that, and he was shocked that they found him so quickly. Like, was he not thinking about how other people had seen them going into an apartment together? I think that he was oblivious to the fact that other people were seeing them, period. Mm-hmm. And then and noting and taking any note of them. Right, that they had been seen together. And then who would suspect this bellhop, the doorman? Right. 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 Well, and and he would never have come forward to begin with. And truly someone like Professor Snook for even leave it to someone of this um, mentality to not give a human like the bellman a second thought. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is what it, it was so eye opening for me of just how little he really thought of other people and their capabilities. Of like recognizing it, something off. Off. And that, and he clearly had no faith in the police's ability to f- track evidence. And fa- I like, can't believe his, you found me so fast. I will say the name on the apartment was his two middle names that he used as a first and last name. Okay. So he didn't use James Snook. He used, he had two middle names. Can't remember what both, one of them was Dean that was what he claimed was his last name. So he didn't he didn't actually put his, the apartment fully in his name, just in his two middle names. All right. Mm-hmm. He was using a fake name. Yes. Like yeah, checking in under Bugs Bunny if you're a rock star. Yes. Yep. Um, so March 1st, 1930, uh, Dr. Snook stepped into the death chamber without any assistance. He took a seat in the electric chair. The preacher prayed for him. And then he was put to death. All right. Yep, for for the murder. He was buried in his family's plot. They did not use his last name on the tombstone. Instead, they used the middle name and his last name so that no one would damage the stone. Well, they should have used his two middle names like at the hotel room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no Just as a final, I'm flipping off. Yes, off, that was that was a flip off. Uh, I wanted you to hear that. Can you do that again? Yeah, that was was beautiful. That's what it sounds like when you flip somebody off on radio. Wow. Now we know. I know we should record that as a soundbite. <laughs> I think we should. I'll just, I'm going to cut it out and just use it as a snippet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Oh, so there's the story of Theora Hicks and her tragic, like you said, senseless murder. What you could have broke up. Such scandal. 1929 scandal, guys. At the Ohio State mm. University. Which you know I took pleasure in reporting too, on. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Should, oh. should we find crimes at other Big Ten schools too? Probably. Probably. Will we? Probably not. Well, there are at least the other eight of them, maybe. Right, <laughs> I right. I think there's actually more in the Big Well, Ten I mean, we had our other old-timey case um, from Chicago with mm-hmm. the two guys, and he, and that dude went to U of M. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, we've been fair. We've been fair. We have. Yeah, we made fun of Big Brother first, and then Ohio, mm-hmm. and probably MSU will be next. Eventually. Yeah. Lord knows there's been plenty of, plenty of crime Dude, we there. had so much tragedy with MSU in the last year that the only thing we said about them was prayers. Yeah, exactly. Like, legit. Sometimes Amen. you just, there's your, it's all about your timing. So true. Um, are you I ready loved for it. a brain bath? Yes. Though? Yeah, I am. Did you like this case? This I did. Was like, oh. You know I like old-timey cases. Yeah. So, And yeah. this it wasn't even like super old-timey, but... It was good. It was twisty. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to take you to Canada. Eh? Yes. They're having some problems with fires right now. This, they are. And, you know, our thoughts with everybody that is dealing with that, absolutely. Do you ever watch Ozark? No. Have you seen it? Um, I love Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. And he's an actor mm-hmm. in Ozark. And I do of, know of it. Just Okay, so one it. of the things that he's famous for saying in one of the seasons is the fuck you are. Okay, so there's oh, this yeah, meme yeah, yeah. where it's him with the fuck you are. Uh-huh, I've seen that. And then at the top of it, sorry, Canada, lately the meme has said like, um, we're going to get these fires put out right away. Canada. And Jason Bateman goes, the fuck, the fuck you, you are. are. <laughs> like exactly. they are, yeah. It's so out of control right it now. It is. I saw a picture. Prayers to any of our listeners, by the way, yes. who've been up there. And even in down uh, the eastern seaboard, mm-hmm. all the way down to NYC. Like, Have you seen those photos yes, of the air? Yes, it's ridiculous. I know. Yellow I know. out there with masks. It looks yep. post-apocalyptic. It does. It does. It, it is very scary. So sorry for anybody that has to deal with So we're with super that. sorry. Now go ahead and pick on Canada. Well, this one's just about cupcakes. This is the world's... About what? Cupcakes. I'm going to tell you about the world's... Um, well, most thoughtful thief, really. It says, of course, the most thoughtful thief in the world is from Canada. Canada. Interesting that you say that because <laughs> the first quote of the article is: "Canadians are known worldwide worldwide for sometimes being too nice, the sweetest people." <laughs> oh, this is how um, that's how one media outlet is framing a cupcake caper out of British British Columbia, in which both the perp and the bakery owner that he inconvenienced are making headlines for their classic Canadian courtesy. The CBC reports on the incident, which took place last Friday. This was um, sometime recently, but I'm sorry, I forgot to make note of the actual date. At Sweet Something in Vancouver and was captured on security cameras. In the footage, that owner, Emma Irving, posted on TikTok, a man can be seen kicking through the bakery's glass front door just after 3 a.m., then stepping inside... Irving says in the video that he took a rest in a chair for about 10 or 15 minutes before deciding to head to the bathroom. When he emerges again on camera, the man has a mop and a mop bucket in hand and he starts cleaning up the mess of the shattered glass that he created when he broke into the bakery. Drugs. She says, honestly, gotta love a criminal who is at least respectful. OCD. (laughs) After posing for some selfies for the bakery's cell phone, showing off his large orange sunglasses... The guy finally decided to take his leave more than an his leave more than an hour later, and he also took six chocolate champagne cup, cupcakes. <laughs> quote: This is a quote from um, Irvine. Uh, that is the lady, the last name of the lady who owns Owned the it. place. Yeah, she said, "Quote: I hope they're good, bro. Next time, just ask. We will be happy to give you the six cupcakes." She said in her video. Then, according to the Washington Post, on Monday. Irving was walking her dog and trying to wrap her head around the break-in, and a colleague called her with a message. The cupcake thief had called the bakery, and when Irving returned the call, 
He apologized for his actions and he offered to pay 850 in damages and also threw in his orange sunglasses as a gift. What the, the hell, The man? orange sunglasses yeah. he was taking the selfie in. That Selfies is fantastic. There is there is crime in Canada. I broke the <laughs> law. I'm so sorry. I'm going to pay for the damages. Before he even got caught. Yeah. Wasn't even caught. I'll pay for the damages and I will throw in my orange sunglasses. Don't you feel I like maybe for. he was having an off night? Like he got super drunk or high and did all of this and then was like, oh in my the morning. God. Yeah. He was on a journey. Didn't remember what he did the night before. Then saw on TikTok, in fact, what he did do the night before. Plus... In his cell phone, those selfies. Uh When you look through your phone the next morning and you go, oh no. That's the bakery down the street. Yeah, I have had. And you've got chocolate champagne cupcake wrappers on your chest and all around you. Yeah, I'm. (laughs) Oh yeah. But if only all crimes could be that um, sweet, we really wouldn't have a show to put on for people. No, we would not. But still, unless we wanted to be the sweetest crime podcast there is. And I don't think we could shake dicks in that one. Sure. I mean, cupcake ones. We're <laughs> sugar um, spice and everything nice. You know there's cupcake penises somewhere. Someone's probably posted it in our group before. Olivia is uh, a pastry chef. That's she could true. make you pretty much anything you want. Mm-hmm. That's what modeling chocolate's for. Yeah. Good point. Well, thank you all for listening. If you want more of us, like several episodes a week, you should join Patreon because they get often two episodes a week, sometimes three. It just depends on what level um, that they're at. If you're at a at the $10 a month level, you get five bonus episodes, guys. That's, yeah, that counts our Brain Bath Only episode. Mm-hmm. Including the Brain Bath Only episodes. When I have time, I jump on and do a chat with Chuck. You do. You it's, miss the chat with Chucks and Chucks if you're not a Patreon. True story. And that's really, you know, sometimes I get to play with you and sometimes I'm just playing with myself. Well... <laughs> You're not alone. I know. You're not I alone never in am. that. I don't know how many people have said, I love playing with Megan, but sometimes I just have to play by I myself. myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good too. It's good too. <laughs> I'm glad uh, I'm there for your entertainment. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, but you guys should consider that because, um, you know, it keeps us on air. Our Patreons truly are who keep us on air. So that is why we give them the yeah. extra content. And also the Patreon only Facebook group. I mean, you're missing a... a just a. I sometimes ask myself how this happened. It's erect with fun in there. That's all <laughs> I'll say. Um, yeah, but but thank you Guaranteed all. Guaranteed to fill you up with joy. Yes, with something. Joy. Oh, good giggles, lord! Dis- disgust. Sometimes I look at those posts and go, "How did our Patreon find that? What did they search?" Did this just pop up as their ad? I prefer I'm, not to ask questions about what our Patreons have in their search engine. And <laughs> other than engines, other than you know they're using the incognito tabs. And if you aren't, you should. You <laughs> because should be. you I'm should scared be. for all of you. Absolutely. So, but until then, general yeah. public, uh, keep it curious. Yes, keep listening. And, and bye-bye. 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 bye-bye.